The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask uh, access old archive shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little square. Yes, uh, good to see you, Scott. Andy, good, good to see Scott. you. Good morning, Don. Uh, and here we are. We're, I guess, officially out of a uh, lockdown. Does that change the financial world in any way? No, not in my thinking. I think it was an inevitable. Um, spend, spend, <laughs> spend, baby. Spend, spend, spend. Hopefully, uh, we'll keep some of these restaurants in business and and uh, maybe some of the hotels will start to open up again or bed and breakfasts, uh, Airbnbs just to get people kind of going again, but it is on a limited basis. And uh, people are, you know, to be honest, it's also is not really any safer just because they lifted it. I keep telling my, you know, my mother's 82, and I say, you know what, um, it's still over 1,000 new cases or around 1,000 new cases approximately yeah. in Ontario. So, um, you know, until you get that vaccine, she. You go and uh, you, you be extra careful. Yeah, and that's the way it is. And, and as you guys have said all along, it's it's the long haul here, and that's what you plan for in your finances. Going to talk about an interesting uh, topic here: how to handle a wealth crisis during a health crisis. Yes, yes, and I, you know what? Uh, there's a whole lot of people probably getting bored of doing puzzles at this stage, and uh, the Netflix is worn thin, and and they've gone through all the different media, and they say, okay. Maybe I should work on my financial plan. And what got me thinking about this is that what a great opportunity. Literally, this is, we are getting a ton of phone calls from our clients at this stage. I'm, I'm sure Andy's getting the same because people have extra time on their hands and they want to go through their finances because I believe me, once this, there's such an appetite to do something outside the house and once we can travel and do things, we won't be able to see our clients probably for months after that. <laughs> So here's a great opportunity for people to really get on top of it and create that financial plan. And there's a big difference from a financial plan and a financial guess. Now, a financial plan is putting concrete data very methodically. So going through your hydro bills, going through your tax returns, going through all sorts of the minute expenses you have, and putting it all into a plan. Now, this is something you should work with a financial planner. If he is not equipped to do so, and he's simply managing your money, that is a, an investment planner. That is not a financial planner. And to be honest, you should get a financial planner. So, and, and the real difference, and I'm seeing some of these ads now for some of the banks are kind of join, jumping, in, jumping in on this and saying, okay, we're, you know, we're, we'll give you a plan. And we see somebody at home, and, they, and they're going through it, which is great, very good COVID, and it's a good start. But I, I know how much effort goes into a plan, and it's garbage in, garbage out. So if you put in great data and very, very specific data, how often do you buy cars? So what do you, what's your inflation rate? What, what kind of rate of return are we projecting? That stuff actually is fairly easy, but getting to the nitty-gritty of how much you spend on vacations and your entertainment – Going forward, hope, you know, assuming the pandemic's over, your grocery bill, 
all your expenses. Um, in fact, then cutting it a little bit during retirement, saying, okay, well, in the first 10 years, my lifestyle in retirement, I'm going to say, is going to be greater than the following 10 years, and then even probably limited even for the next, the 30, the, you know, the 20 to 30 years in retirement, and we make adjustments for that. So it is not an exact science. So I did have one person ask me, could I, you know, what's, how probable is these as far as success rate for your clients? And he wanted to understand, you know, how did my clients do that I said did a plan for 20 years ago? And that's a, you know, I, you know what, I've never been asked that question. I thought it was a great question. But then as I looked through it, and I have had a couple very, call it engineer type, that really went through the numbers specifically. And they were quite shocked how well it turned out. That being said, they run their their finances very carefully. And the numbers really were drilled down and, and successful. As it turns out, 97 0.2% of the reason why people fail in the financial plan is due, is due to human behavior. And this is why we call it a living plan, not simply uh, a plan that you, you make up and you look at it 30 years later, because things change, people change. And so we have to make those adjustments on an annual basis to make sure that everything's good. So in, in a living plan, we're going to be looking at your taxes, we're going to look through insurance, cash flow. Cash flow is extremely important. In fact, I would suggest the cash flow planning part of a plan is the most important part because I, that's where I feel most fail. They don't go through their expenses the way they should, and this is where having a good financial planner going through item by item to making sure. And then when somebody kind of guesses, I'll be the first one to say, are you sure it's that? Are you sure you're only spending $100 a week in groceries? It's probably more because, you know, Andy and I have done thousands of these, and we have an idea what the average household would spend. And then, of course, you go into the investments, and you look at every part of the plan. So if you look at, say, the insurance side, you have life insurance, disability insurance, CI insurance, critical illness. Um, the cash flow, of course, we go through that in detail, as I mentioned, but inf- investments. How tax efficient are they? Do you have your RSPs creating the interest income, and do you have your non-registered investments earning capital gains? So is it very tax efficient? So we really drill down and find out is what opportunities there are. So this is a, what we're finding right now is it is a bit of an opportunity this year, and there's a bit of a, I would say, a lot of pandemic savings. People have a fair bit of money right now because they haven't been spending it. They haven't been able to use it as much. They've been able to pay down debt, which is fantastic. Canada, prior to the pandemic, was one of the worst in terms of uh, debt per person in, in the world uh, for you know, first world countries. So you look at where's your situation now. And the very first thing I would do out of, say, five, five things, first thing I would do is sign up online with the CRA. And if you can't personally do it, get your kids to help you sign up. It is just a great thing. You can then get your notice of assessment. If you're not retired, you can see what your Canada pension plan is forecasted to be. There's some very good information on there. You're t- basically, it's, you, I always find people have a difficult time, including myself, finding where did that notice of assessment go. And it's always online. That's the best part of being online. And so that's, that's the first thing I would do. Second, speak to your advisor. Right now, 
and see what the optimal RSP contribution room is. So it's not simply saying, okay, I've got this much RSP room, what should I do? I, you have to look at the tax brackets. You have to look at what situation are you in? Are you, how, you know, how close are you to retirement? Tax brackets are part of it. But if you're only 30 years old, then you say, okay, well, it's just a matter of accumulating. And then you have to say, do I go in tax-free savings accounts or do I go in RSPs? And that's really based on tax bracket management. So important. I can't stress this enough. Uh, number three, investing right now for an RSP, because we only have basically a little over a couple weeks here to, for this RSP deadline. Do you borrow for the RSP or do you add monthly to that RSP? Uh, get the right allocation, number four. This is extremely important. A lot of people are looking at their RSP, how should I invest it? Well, that's okay, but you should look at your overall investments, not just the RSP. And this is where I find there's a lot of institutions that go wrong because they're simply saying they don't understand if you have your funds spread across a few institutions or, or even you have a plan at work and you have a group plan. How is that money managed compared to the rest? And really you need what Wright calls an asset allocation pie it's like a pie chart of where all your money is combined, all, all, all places, so that you know how much risk you're in and if you're properly diversified. And fifth, if you do have a work plan and it has some matching, does it make sense? First of all, it always makes sense to look at that first. Um, that's no-brainer. Do not go to your bank or financial planner. Make sure you're maximizing at work. They're, your financial advisor should be able to give you an idea where to invest those funds because they give you lots of choices. And sometimes it even makes sense to use your line of credit to make sure that you can max out your uh, group RSP or group plan. So at the end of the day, there's a big difference between wealth management and what Andy and I, we're both part of what we call the private wealth management division. And what I look at this, private wealth management, first of all, we're dealing with people generally that are, have, over, have over a million dollars in, in assets. Versus wealth management, there are a lot of accumulators, and you've got to start somewhere. And a lot of those accumulators over the years have become part of our private wealth management clients. Retirees with under a million dollars, we're starting to draw, they're drawing on their assets. So now it's a matter of how long are those assets going to last. So that would be part of wealth management. Services, when you look at a private wealth management service, you say, okay, there's portfolio. We do look at your overall portfolio, mortgage and debt. Okay, well, wealth management, you also look at investment, at investment management. That, that's similar, but there may be some extra things that only would apply to certain type of clients that over, because only certain investments can only be, in, be pursued if you have over a certain amount of net worth. You have to be, for example, accredited investor. Or you need to have at least 250000 to be in certain types of investments. So there is some choices between private wealth management that you don't have in wealth management. Um, estate planning. Big thing that Andy and I, we talk about this all the time, estate planning. Versus something in wealth management, it's really not about estate planning. They're just trying to see how much can we accumulate and how long will that money last us. So you're saying, okay, build up the money and draw it down and we hope we don't run out of money. That's wealth management. Private wealth management is, okay, we've got, we're definitely going to have excess money. So what do we do with this excess money? How do we pass it on to our children in the most tax-efficient way so that we don't pay 53.5%? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a, a few more things. The difference between private wealth management and wealth management right after the break. But basically, in a nutshell, there's a, just a lot more sophistication in a private wealth manager. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. You can call them now and they will return your call and check out their website at andyanddon.com. We're going to go on and talk about annuities uh, for the next segment, but you wanted to finishing, uh, finish off with handling your wealth during a health crisis. Yes, and this is where really it's just coming down to what a great opportunity, because we have the time, to go over a true financial plan. And there is kind of two ways to do this. You either look at, are you, are you, do you need a wealth manager or do you need a private wealth manager? And that's really, it's kind of interesting. Andy and I were talking just off, off air there, and up until, say, three or four years ago, we didn't know the difference because we only did the whole enchilada, if you will. We did all the layers and all the strategies, regardless of your situation, because that's, we just, that's part of financial planning. But what we're finding now, it seems to be a, a line drawn in the sand, and you're seeing some commercials of people saying, okay, I'm going to talk to my financial planner. And it's usually accumulation, or it's a very simple, straightforward approach. And, and I got a question what kind of liability there would be because it's garbage in, garbage out. So if that person on the TV is feeling comfortable about their plan, I, I, I would not personally feel comfortable because I know how much effort goes into the plan in terms of what data. And cash flow is one of them. What rates of return are they using? How about inflation? Have they done a Monte Carlo analysis? And when they say, okay, you're doing fine, sir. Okay, I would take that face value. Is it a financial guess or is it a financial plan? And so dealing as a, as a private wealth management division here, we also get into asset protection. And it could, for asset protection, quite often we're trying to protect a person's estate or a cottage so it can pass on to the next generation so the government doesn't get half of it. Um, that's life insurance. It may be critical illness insurance. It may be dis- um, disability coverage so that your assets are protected. Where with the average person in, in wealth management, it's really income protection, where you need life and disability and critical illness to make sure that your income continues. Now, what I find is a lot of Andy and I are duly licensed. We have our insurance license as well as our investment licenses. And make sure you're, whoever you're dealing with has both licenses. Fifth would be tax management. Extremely important. Well, we talk show after show about tax management, um, income splitting, etc., versus really what I find in wealth management and, and a lot of the institutions, they're really only talking about RSPs and tax-free savings accounts and maybe RESPs. Um, we, uh, we work with accountants and lawyers quite frequently to make sure our clients are getting the best overall advice. I always say to their accountants or lawyers, we're both on the same side here. We're both trying to get our clients 
to be in the most efficient position possible. And this doesn't happen on the wealth management side. So at the end of the day, we were trying to get to manage their wealth as efficiently as possible and generate income tax efficiently when they are retired. And then, of course, on the estate planning side, gifting, probate fees, avoiding that 53.5% tax bracket. This is all what a private wealth management division person would be talking about. And there's tax planning would be spousal loans, uh, sorry, spousal loans, um, candidate pension plan planning, which Andy and I have talked about many times, many shows on how do you maximize your candidate pension plan or and, and base it on your life expectancy and what's the best strategies around that. At the end of the day, you're going to see a lots of strategies rather than just throwing in your, your money into an investment and getting a projection on how that will do based on some computer program that I think, because I've seen them, they're very rudimentary. They, they, they're putting in some very basic data because it takes generally an hour and a half for Andy and I to go through what we call personal financial review to get the proper data to put into a plan. So I can't imagine that kind of effort going in. So the way I look at the difference between private wealth management and, and just wealth management, wealth management would be like if you're going a restaurant. You may go through a McDonald's. Hey, nothing wrong with a burger here and there. I'll go through the odd one here myself. Or a Swiss chalet. That's a, another step up. And maybe even the keg. You know, I like the keg. It's great. It's consistent. Where wealth, private wealth management is something around the keg level and maybe up to the private club level where you get personalized service and they know your taste and they know your needs. They know if you're lactose intolerant and everything else about you. And they change the menu accordingly, or if you're allergic to peanuts or what have you. That's the difference between the two. And so when we say, Andy and I have always been in the private wealth management division because we know our clients. We know what makes them tick. We know what their goals are. We know what they really need versus wealth management. It's more of a, a mass-produced answer to many issues. And, I, you know, I remember... Uh that first meeting with you guys and, and, you know, we first started doing the show together and then, you know, eventually, uh, you got my business. Um, but I remember that first meeting and it was, uh, it's a long one (laughs) and it's, it's your financial history and kind of painful for us to go through. But so, yeah, that's, you know, I, I can't see you coming up with anything unless you have all of that information. And I remember that very vividly because it is a long process. And now you have a, quite a track record, Scott, and you've seen why we've gone yeah. through all that effort at the beginning. Yeah, and, and as I've mentioned several times, it's not... Uh, and, and I guess this is just the times where we're seeing people who want to do it yourselfers. So there's, you know, what you said you used to do all the time anyway. Now there's specialized versions of it. But what I like about this relationship is that, you know, again, if I'm deciding to buy a new car... Uh, or, or one in the family, then you talk about that. Uh, your kids' uh, education, your life insurance, that's all part of it. So you don't worry, you're not worried that you leave something else because the, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah, and, that, you know, and that's a great point. There's so many aspects that we, we, we deal with, and we're the quarterback. We are literally looking at all aspects, and that's, well, that's private wealth management. And I know Andy is going to be talking a little bit uh, going on on part of that private wealth management sector. Well, I just wanted to jump in on a couple of thoughts on what you guys were saying there. And I, you know, I think that at the end of the day, the goal is always about inspiring financial competence. And the, the difference is, is that 
for many people, there is, let's call it the optimal path, the optimal financial path. And then there's the other path that a lot of people take, which is called the typical financial path. And the reality, the difference between the optimal and typical is what we call financial erosion. And there are so many choices that you have to make with respect to your finances. You can't become an expert about it uh, yourself, the details of different strategies that are available to you. So over time, that financial erosion that occurs for slippage, not making decisions timely, missing out on tax-saving opportunities, all of those little pieces uh, take away from your optimal outcome. And I don't know, somebody said to us that at the end of the day, we're basically financial doctors in the context, <laughs> as, as a, but as a CFP, right? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, there's good doctors and bad doctors, and some people feel more financial confidence with, with us, or you feel better with certain doctors and not with others. So building financial confidence is so important, and the, the, key, the key is to try and reduce that financial erosion and to optimize where your outcome is. And, and then that's where the confidence comes from. And, and just to add one last thing to that, Andy, you did mention CFP. Personally, knowing what it takes to get a CFP, and it is the designation that really shows whether you're a financial planner or not. Exactly. All right, I'm going to change gears here. We're going to talk about something that's so exciting. I know you're anticipating this. It's annuities. Wow. God, I couldn't <laughs> wait for this part of it, Andy. Thank you. you, know, <laughs> you know, annuities is something that... Uh, well, we don't talk about it a lot. It's not a popular financial product for a lot of people, but uh, I think it's actually an important piece uh, of, of someone's retirement plan. So it's important to at least understand them and maybe explore as you head into your own retirement, is there a place for an annuity with respect to your own financial, uh, for, for optimizing your own financial outcome as well. So basically an annuity is a, it's basically between an insurance company and an individual, yourself, and you would normally simply pay a lump sum uh, to an insurance company in return for a regular payment. It might be a regular monthly payment. It might be a regular annual payment. But most often, it's a regular payment. And it's a binding legal contract. It can't be changed once it's set up. And it also has an income schedule which can't be changed. So once they've locked in, this is how much you're going to get every month. And this is for the rest of your life or for a certain period of time can't be changed. The contract can't be canceled. And the only time the annuity payments will stop is upon death. Uh, and unless there's a guarantee period, we'll talk a little bit about a guarantee period for an annuity as well. And, uh, and that's part of the process in sort of looking at your annuity is what type of guarantee period you might want to include. It could be five years, it could be 10 years. Uh, and basically, in, in many times they look at it, so a 20 year is the usual a return amount for all your initial premiums. In other words, once you've had a, an annuity for 20 years, you've almost always received all the money that you handed over. And then from then on, it continues to be gravy. But there's two types of annuities. There's a life annuity or a term certain annuity. And um, a life annuity, as it says, basically pays you that monthly income stream for your entire life. A term certain annuity will pay you that monthly income stream for a set period of time. It could be 10 years or 20 years, and then at the end of it, it stops. And it's basically you purchase uh, an annuity with your registered assets. So you can use your RRSPs to buy an annuity or you can use your non-registered investments to buy uh, an annuity. 
And uh, there also are what we call impaired life annuities, and these apply to both the non-registered funds and registered funds. Basically, what they're saying is that if you have um, uh, an illness or a life-threatening illness or something that might affect your mortality rate, then you can get uh, an enhanced payout uh, with respect to a shorter lifespan. So um, something to look into if you're considering that and your health is not great. So why is an annuity useful? And I think today some of the main reasons are, um, you know, we know life expectancy has improved dramatically, so people are living longer. And obviously a life annuity, paying you income for life, that sounds that seems to make sense. Uh, interest rates are low. We're dealing with unprecedented low interest rates. How do you generate income for yourself in retirement and do it in a safe and secure way? You need to have a lot of cash at today's low interest rates. Um, bond returns, we know, have been challenging over time, and that typically has been a big piece of what people rely on for a part of their retirement income. Uh, Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security Benefits, I know they're good and they provide a good base for you, but they may not be enough right, to cover off your lifestyle and the needs that you have. And there's been a big a number, a large number of decline in terms of how many Canadians are enrolled in pension plans, defined benefit pension plans that would produce that regular monthly income at the point at which you retire. So, um, you know, life annuities, the one thing that I would say is that they, and this is sort of, I guess, where the comfort in them comes from, is that you're transferring the risk of longevity and stock market over to the insurance company. And the reason you're doing that is because in terms of longevity, again, they are taking on the risk to pay you for as long as you live. And as far as market ups and downs, if the market crashes 30 percent, it doesn't matter. You still get your regular check. That's part of the contract. Uh, So, you know, who should consider an annuity? And I think um, there's different factors that Don and I would look at for each person. But basically, just quickly running through sort of my top seven, uh, somebody who wants more guaranteed income to cover their basic needs. And often when we're doing a retirement plan, we think about what someone's fixed costs are and then what their sort of fund costs are. And, and those fixed costs, if you knew that you had money coming in every month that covers all your fixed costs and maybe a little cushion, that starts to give you more financial confidence as well. Uh, maybe you're an early retiree. Maybe you have a fam- family history of longevity. Uh, number four, maybe you're a conservative investor who likes that guarantee with no volatility. Number five, you want to reduce your taxable income to minimize the effect of OAS clawback. Number six, you might uh, have high income needs now, but uh, not a lot of assets. So this can produce more income for you. And finally, number seven, an insured annuity is uh, income te- maximization and estate conservation strategy, where you can get a regular income and then have a lump sum payout uh, from a death benefit at death. So it's sort of, it takes that money that you handed over to the insurance company and the insurance company gives it back to your estate in that strategy. And, Andy, Andy, did yeah. you uh, happen to go over, um, back a couple of budgets ago, they are talking about a deferred annuity that would start, say, around 80 years old. And the, it was on one of the budgets, and I really haven't—I personally haven't come across it since. I haven't heard anything about it. Have you heard anything? No, since? there's been no advancement in terms of um, accessibility or even product. I don't even know of any company that's that's launched that product yet. And I think that's such a—it's basically a insurance against longevity. And I really like that idea 
um, because the people living longer and you put in, say, 100,000, there's a maximum you could put in and it would give you an X amount of, that would only kick in at age 80. But uh, hopefully yeah. that's still on their, their docket somewhere on their list to do on the government side. Yeah, another great way to, uh, you know, to think about sort of creating some more financial confidence in, in terms of retirement as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I guess people often ask about payouts, how much would I get? Um, you know, a male age 60 roughly today would, with a uh, um, $100,000 lump sum would get about $471 a month. Uh, a male age 71 would get $601 a month. So that's an increase of $130, about a 27, 28% increase over that, uh, over that 10-year time period. And then payouts can be based on a single life or a joint life. So if you and your, your partner, you want to have uh, income for life, so the last one of you dies, that's called a joint life annuity. And um, you do take a bit of a haircut. This is like buying options on your car, right? The more sort of safety and security you want. So in this case, you get a reduction of about 17% in terms of your payout. By if you were two people age 65 looking for a joint survivor uh, annuity with a lifetime income. So, um, you know, we talk, we'll talk a little bit about, too, about payout guarantees. Uh, and I've got some tips for that. And uh, what factors affect life annuity rates? We'll talk about laddering strategy and some tax benefits as well. Don and Andy talking about your extended warranty. Uh, we are planning <laughs> your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister, Don Fox here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. Call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you, and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here, we're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're going to continue talking about annuities. Yeah, we are. And I, just as I mentioned that we finished up, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the guaranteed period for annuities. And uh, this is where you want to build in a little protection. And it's kind of like that extended warranty that you talked about on your car. Do you, do you get it? Does it make sense? And um, with annuities, uh, the, the strategy that I was talking about earlier, where you have an insured annuity, in other words, you purchase uh, an annuity with, from a life insurance company, they give you X amount per month. And you use a portion of that amount that you receive each month to buy yourself a life insurance policy so that when you die, that a lump sum comes back to your estate. And that's always been one of the hangups that people have about annuities is that, you know, I hand over $100,000, I hand over $500,000 to an insurance company. And now, yes, I'm getting this income stream for life. But what if I die like in year seven? You know, and now I haven't received anything back from I haven't received enough back to get my money back. And there is a risk to that, depending on um, the guarantee period that you pick. It is so, interesting, Andy, though, how they never ask that question when they're part of a pension plan. No. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they're very, they have the same, basically, you put a million dollars into a pension plan and you know you're going to get an income. Yeah, you have an income for life, maybe a survivor pension for life, and then that's it. So most often we live longer than we expect anyway. But you can add a guaranteed period for your annuity. Uh, the typical, they range 5-year, 10-year, 15-year, or 20-year. 
And you take a bit of a haircut in terms of your monthly payment that you get from your annuity based on how long you want that guarantee to be part of your uh, contract. So if you take a five-year guarantee, so you're saying, oh, you know, if I get the next five years and I die, well, so be it. You take about a 1% haircut, of, uh, you know, uh, and so it's not a huge amount. 10 years is about a 3% haircut monthly. 15 years is a 7% haircut. And 20 years is an 11% haircut on your monthly payout. Um, but the 20-year one is interesting because in almost all cases, if you have a 20-year guarantee, that means if you die before 20 years, your estate, you will have received through all your monthly payments, plus the residual left uh, on that 20-year guarantee, basically the same amount you put into the annuity. And so uh, while you get less, it certainly does give you some peace of mind in terms of your estate plan. Uh, so the Again, that's something that you will need to discuss with your financial planner is what that guarantee period, what makes the most sense for you. So a lot of factors affect life uh, annuity rates. And often people think, well, interest rates are so low, it doesn't really make sense right now. But one of the biggest factors is the sort of secret sauce in annuities and why they can pay out so much is what's called mortality credits. And this is the fact that, um, you know, some people do die earlier, but some people live longer. And when somebody dies earlier, those, those, those monthly payouts that they would have got basically goes back into the pool and allows for a higher payout to everybody else. So uh, the number one factor for annuity rates is life expectancy. You know, males live less time. They get a little higher payout than females. Number two is uh, short-term investment returns. Number three is long-term investment returns. Number four is administrative expenses. Number five is commissions. Number six is deferral period. In other words, you may not start your annuity right away. Number seven is the guaranteed period that you pick. Number eight is the payment frequency that you take, choose. Number nine is corporate taxation, because sometimes these are owned by um, uh, the owner as a corporation, non-registered plans. And then sort of what profit level the insurance company is trying to drive from this products as well. So, um, and one of the things that we talk about from a strategy is like you would do with a, a guaranteed investment certificate, GICs, where people would often ladder their GICs. They might pick a one-year, a three-year, and a five-year GIC. And the reason they do that is that the five-year gives you the highest rate, but it also gives you the least flexibility. So having some GICs mature either each year or every couple of years gives you a chance to renew that at a current rate, and hopefully that rate is similar or higher. So you can do the same thing with, with uh, annuities. You might buy a $100,000 annuity at um, 65. You might buy another one at 68, and you might buy another one at 71. So when I looked at that, if you did $300,000, you would get 1700 a month in total from those three annuities. If you just purchased all 300000 at age 65, at the start, you'd only get six, 1615 So a drop of $85 a month, $1,000 a year, uh, by doing it all at once instead of um, laddering your uh, annuities. Now, you can also, uh, there's some tax planning around annuities for sure, and your non-registered annuities, uh, you can create an, um, a pension income credit from that interest portion that's generated. So the first $2,000 at age 65 and over uh, is tax-free. And so there's some great tax strategies around uh, pension, or sorry, around annuities as well. And finally, if you think about annuities are often a good estate planning tool, you might want to buy an annuity for a family member. 
if somebody is not good with money, either a spendthrift or you're concerned about uh, the erosion of the capital and then them sort of leaving uh, an adult child high and dry or a dependent high and dry, you can put in your will that a, you know, it might be X dollar amount or X percentage of your estate is used to purchase a life annuity for a beneficiary. And it basically just sort of takes that out of their control. Uh, it also means you don't have to have a trustee because basically for the rest of their life, they're going to get a regular income from an annuity. So it's a safe way to sort of build, build in some protection for somebody if they're, uh, if they're not wise or not as smart with their money or they didn't talk to Don and I. So <laughs> <laughs> We are planning anyway, your... That's, that's annuities. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Leave a message now at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, last uh, segment, RESP room, and I don't know what to do with it. What do I do with it? That's our RSP room, Scott. Oh, sorry. RP. But anyway, oh, you can tell you can tell at what part of life I'm at. <laughs> sorry, you got kids going to R R S P. Yeah, but uh, your know, RSP room. There is so much RSP room that people have. It's incredible, and I happened to come across somebody recently, and I'll just say it was more than this. But let's say you're 40 years old, and you finally paid off uh, a major debt. And, you, and you, you haven't really started your RSP savings at all. And, you, and you're not part of a pension plan at work. And you've got $100,000 of RSP room. And you make 100000 a year. Make things very simple. And you say, you know what? I used to pay $1,000 a month for that mortgage payment or whatever that debt was. And I can afford this $1,000 a month now. And I'm going to save that. Because one of the biggest mistakes is to leave all of this RSP room on the table and not, to, not use it. This is a, a massive amount of pension. So if you were, say, a teacher, you would not have RSP room like this because you only can put a, 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 you know, maybe 3000 a year into an RSP because so much of your money every month is going to a pension, and, and also it's being matched. So there's very little of RSP room that you accumulate. But if you're not part of a pension plan, you could have, I've seen people with over 250000 in RSP room. So let's not waste that RSP room. And one of the other questions, I'm 40 years old, is it too late? Well, hopefully, after I go through this scenario, you'll find it is not too late. So, based on 100000 a year, I looked at going through the, the tax tables and said, you know what, we should try to get your income to $79,000. So we need to put $21,000 into an RSP. And the reason I went to 79000 that would bring you to the 30% level. We would save tax at 43, 38, 33. We won't save any tax at, at 29.65. Everything will be higher than that. So we really should put $21,000 away. But you, that's, uh, that works out to $2,055 a month. But, Don, I, I can only afford 1000 a month. And this is where I'm looking at, okay, let's do 2055 
and we're going to borrow 1055 a month and, and use the line of credit. And once we, so this will end up working out to 2000, sorry, $24,666 $24, in a year because what we want to do is use up all of this RSP room in the next 15 years. So this would allow us to do that. What would happen, though? Out of that 24000 at a 33% tax bracket, you would save 8140 in tax. So 15 years later, let's say you only made 5% on your RSP, and let's assume that the line of credit was at 4%. Now, I think I've used a pretty conservative number on the RSPs, and I've been a little high, actually. You can get, our, you can get line of credits right now. Prime plus a quarter would be 2.7. So this is being very conservative. 15 years later, your line of credit would now be up to 90566 And you say, oh, gosh, I finally got out of debt, Donna, and now I've got a $90,000 loan. However, you now have $532,000 sitting in an RSP. And you've now caught up on all your room. So now at 100000 you can only put 18000 away every year because it's 18% of your income. Well, that works out to 1500 a month. Why I think this is a perfect amount is 1500 a month is 18000 a year. That would save you $6,000 in tax, which would be the amount that you would have to borrow to max out your RSP every year because you can still only afford 1000 a month. So you're, you won't be using anything against your debt. You still owe 90000 and it's growing, but you're maximizing your 18% every year. So here we are at 65. You've got to remember, you only started at 40. And you now have $1,109,000 sitting in your RSP. You're, you do have a debt, mind you. It's a $134,000 loan. Now, I've got to look at this loan. This is 25 years. You haven't had a pay increase. You haven't had any windfalls. You haven't, nothing in your life was able to pay down this loan. That's unlikely. You may have even got an inheritance, for example. However, I'm saying the worst case scenario, you had nothing, in, you didn't increase your, your salary. You never got a windfall of any sort, and you got a $134,000 loan. That, that uh, $1.1 million in RSPs could easily pay you $40,000. $48,000 a year, which would give you after tax about $3,600, $3,500 after tax every year for the rest of your life. Talk about an annuity, Andy. This is just for savings, and now you, you've got this very good income. On top of that, you'll get your old age security, your Canada pension plan. You've used up your RSP room. Yes, you do have this debt, but you'll be able to use some of that RSP cash flow that you're getting every month to pay down that debt. Um, you were always using it a higher tax bracket, say 33% and higher. So if you even have to take out some of the RSP at a 30% tax bracket or 29.65, pay down some of the debt, that's not all bad. At the end of the day, you will have a very comfortable um, retirement with a debt, but relatively, I'll take $1.1 in RSPs over a, a $130,000 debt any day of the week. 
We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button, as well as listen to old archive shows. Perfect, gentlemen. Another great one. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Great to see you both. Scott. Thanks, Don. Talk to you next week. You betcha. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.